"'Don't you think you would attract attention?' said the medical man. "'Our ancestors had no great tolerance for anachronisms.' "'One might get one's Greek from the very lips of Homer and Plato,' the very young man thought. "'In which case they would certainly plough you for the little go. The German scholars have improved Greek so much.' "'Then there is the future,' said the very young man. "'Just think. One might invest all one's money, leave it to accumulated interest, and hurry on ahead.' "'To discover a society,' said I, erected on a strictly communistic basis. "'Of all the wild extravagant theories,' began the psychologist. "'Yes, so it seemed to me, and so I never talked of it until—experimental verification,' cried I. "'You are going to verify that?' "'The experiment!' cried Philby, who was getting brain-weary. "'Let's see your experiment anyhow,' said the psychologist. "'Though it's all humbug, you know.' The time-traveller smiled around at us. Then, still smiling faintly, and with his hands deep in his trousers' pockets, he walked slowly out of the room, and we heard his slippers shuffling down the long passage to his laboratory. The psychologist looked at us. "'I wonder what he's got.' "'Some sleight of hand trick or other?' said the medical man, and Philby tried to tell us about a conjurer he had seen at Burslem, but before he had finished his preface the time-traveller came back, and Philby's anecdote collapsed. The thing the time-traveller held in his hand was a glittering metallic framework, scarcely larger than a small clock, and very delicately made. There was ivory in it, and some transparent crystalline substance, and now I must be explicit— for this that follows, unless his explanation is to be accepted, is an absolutely unaccountable thing. He took one of the small octagonal tables that were scattered about the room and set it in front of the fire, with two legs on the hearthrug. On this table he placed the mechanism. Then he drew up a chair and sat down. The only other object on the table was a small shaded lamp, the bright light of which fell upon the model. There were also perhaps a dozen candles about, two in brass candlesticks upon the mantel and several in sconces, so that the room was brilliantly illuminated. I sat in a low armchair nearest the fire, and I drew this forward so as to be almost between the time-traveller and the fireplace. Philby sat behind him, looking over his shoulder. The medical man and the provincial mayor watched him in profile from the right, the psychologist from the left. The very young man stood behind the psychologist. We were all on the alert. It appears incredible to me that any kind of trick, however subtly conceived and however adroitly done, could have been played upon us under these conditions. The time-traveller looked at us, and then at the mechanism. "'Well,' said the psychologist, "'this little affair—' said the time-traveller, resting his elbows upon the table and pressing his hands together above the apparatus, is only a model. It is my plan for a machine to travel through time. You will notice that it looks singularly askew and that there is an odd twinkling appearance about this bar, as though it was in some way unreal. He pointed to the part with his finger. Also, here is one little white lever, 
and here is another. The medical man got up out of his chair and peered into the thing. It's beautifully made, he said. It took two years to make, retorted the time traveler. Then, when we had all imitated the action of the medical man, he said, Now I want you clearly to understand that this lever, being pressed over, sends the machine gliding into the future, and this other reverses the motion. This saddle represents the seat of a time traveler. Presently I am going to press the lever, and off the machine will go. It will vanish, pass into future time, and disappear. Have a good look at the thing. Look at the table, too, and satisfy yourselves there is no trickery. I don't want to waste this model, and then be told I'm a quack.'